Welcome to episode eight of the Great American Folk Show, a little place in this space that celebrates the craft and community of art and the people who make it. I'm Tom Brousseau, and standing next to me uh, is Eric Detheridge, the producer of this podcast. Eric, before I even ask you how you're doing today, did you see the Grammys? Well, I'll say I'm doing fine, Tom. I'll answer that anyway, right up front. But yes, I did see the Grammys, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't watch the telecast anymore. Who's got time to sit on a Sunday night through three and a half hours of that stuff and the incessant commercials? But you know, like probably everybody else now, I watched clips of it uh, later on, and, and, and certainly lots of moments, lots of good moments this time. I couldn't keep my eyes away from it. I, I tell you, mm. I just, I love the Grammys. I try to watch it every year. Celine Dion's triumphant return. Like the Swifties, I mean, can you imagine? You know what? I have to tell you this yeah. real quick. Okay, so my daughter loves Taylor Swift. <laughs> they call her a Swiftie. I'm a Swiftie. You're a Swiftie by, by relation, by familial I am, relation. And I'm, yeah. I've gotten to know her albums. You like Taylor Swift. I love Taylor yeah, who, Swift. What's not, you know, you, let's just say it. What's not to love? What, what's the deal with people getting their, you know what, in the wad about Taylor Swift? Here's a powerful woman who's written her songs on her own since she was a kid, and she's very successful. Her songs are infectious, inspiring others to pick up guitars and you know what she's got a boyfriend that plays football all right so what it's only brought in the nfl like mega ratings as if they didn't have enough so all eyes are gonna the cameras are gonna pan to taylor uh during the super bowl i mean you know great good for her well i'm gonna bring you back to the grammys okay so there she was right she's up on stage looking beautiful yeah and uh i mean just celebrating the music and, and being there and she announces her brand new album i mean come on wow. I, I haven't even been able to get over midnight yet <laughs> not what to mention surprise. what a surprise for fans well she totally surprised she, she she's in service of the gazillions of people around the world she is a she's a supernova she's got to keep star. the train going yeah. i don't even think that she has to even worry about that i think that this this is an individual who's totally on top of her game yep. and is just going to keep on going well she picked up a few awards as yep. you know but also at the grammys 80 year old Joni Mitchell performing oh, for the first time. Yeah, I mean, still my beaten art. I know. She performed both sides now. Not a dry eye in the house. Or my house. I gotta say, thanks to Brandy Carlisle for reminding us how anyone with a guitar and a voice stands on Joni's big shoulders. Here, here. But man, Eric, was there anything better than Fast Car? Uh, the answer is, I can't think of anything better than seeing the originator, Tracy Chapman, performing the song live with the country star who brought this song, this wonderful story song, to a new generation of fans, Luke Combs. Also barely a dry eye in the house. Taylor Swift was given a standing ovation throughout the whole performance. How could you not feel that song deep down in your bones and your soul? It really is like Born to Run. It's like a rat trap by the Boomtown Rats, but with an acoustic guitar. I mean, the best songs is what you're getting at are the ones with, you know, universal emotions. I mean, the line from that song, we got to make a decision, leave tonight or live and die this way. I mean, who hasn't felt like they were in a dead-end job or dead-end town or dead-end family life? Who hasn't felt you know, at a crossroads of some sort where one road is a way out and the other is a life stuck? And man, Tracy captured that so effortlessly with her aching voice and that guitar lick so simple but so evocative. Mm. Uh, just one of the most uh, evocative, beautiful acoustic guitar licks ever. And Tracy just... So soulful, you know, she doesn't uh, appear much anymore publicly, certainly not on award show. So it wasn't quite as long as Joni Mitchell not appearing on the Grammys or anything, but just the fact that, that Tracy was there was awesome. I can remember her, 1986, the Conspiracy of Hope tour in Philadelphia, Springsteen, Peter Gabriel, Sting, they were all there, and opening the show was Tracy did Chapman. You see that? You I there? saw that and she did Get Up Stand Up by Bob Marley and I still just am shaking just thinking about that performance. She is a treasure. Her albums are really good. Give me one reason one of the best blues songs I've ever heard. Yeah. Honestly, what what's better than that one? She is just amazing. I'm glad that the Grammys got smart and, and showcased and, and she accepted the invitation well, to come on stage. And thank God for people like, you know, Brandi Carlisle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and her and her constituency and her folk friends bringing Joni Mitchell back and Luke Combs for yeah. kind of doing the same thing. Well, and uh, up the I, uh, up the Spotify charts yeah. now is the original version From of 1988. Fast Car. Yeah, the uh, Gen Z is yeah. 
is getting wise to it and uh, learning it. And country fans, too, are crossing over and checking it out. So thanks to Luke Combs for bringing this song back into popular culture and as if it really could ever leave us. Well, the Grammys did a nice job of showcasing uh, that cross-cultural moment with Luke and Tracy. Uh, the telecast, as we acknowledged while way too long, did have uh, plenty of nice moments that you could watch over and over again. But one thing the Academy doesn't seem to get quite right yet, even after all these years with hip-hop being in the dominant pop culture, is elevate that genre to the art form that it really is. Jay-Z, who we should say picked up an award, the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award, said in his acceptance speech that the Academy is close to getting everything right. He acknowledged that, yes, like everything with music, awards can be subjective. But he added, and I have to quote this, I didn't want to embarrass this young lady, but she has more Grammys than everyone and never won Album of the Year. So even by your own metrics, that doesn't work. The most Grammys, but never one album of the year. That doesn't work. Of course, Jay-Z was talking about his wife, his better half, Beyonce. (laughs) And honestly, outside of Lauryn Hill and Outkast, I personally can't think of any hip-hop acts that have won that coveted album of the year awards. Uh, Beyonce's won lots of awards. She's been nominated a million times, lots of other acts, too. Uh, And so you could say by some metrics, as Jay-Z said, there has been some progress on that front. There's still a long way to go. I just can't believe that that, there's not a lot of hip-hop albums picking up album of the year since that is the genre that seems to be the most consumed by everybody. So, yeah, echoing Jay-Z's remarks, a long way to go. And what I really loved and admired about Jay-Z is he had this constructive criticism, and uh, that was felt by all, I think. But he ends his speech by saying, no matter what, Grammys aside, awards aside, you still have to show up. You can't let any of that bother you. You can't let it dictate you. You can't let it be that thing that determines whether or not you have success. I think success comes from within, and you just got to show up. And I love that. Well, we're a folk show. Yes, we are. But we embrace lots of different genres, including hip-hop. Take a listen to Twin Cities, Nerd D, and I'll promise you that you'll be glad that you did.
I took NERD, originally spelled N-E-R-D, because it, it was just something I used to be called a lot. Like, I was a nerdy kid, like, comic books and video games and, and all that kind of stuff. And that was very, really important to me. So, people would make fun of me about it, you know? And so, like, oh, I was a nerd. Oh, he's like a little nerd. And so, then I, I, I flipped it. I flipped it, and I was like, oh, I'm nerdy. Like, yeah, I am nerdy. You're right. And so, it kind of took on that sort of thing. So, you were into, when you were growing up, uh, comics and yep. um, uh, superheroes and villains. Yeah, that's uh, the whole deal. I'm big into it. I've yeah. always been like a massive comic book nerd. How did you get into it? It was just that world. Even in the history class, like some of the stories they would tell you back in history class sounded like comic book characters. And Greek mythology is basically, you know, Superman. You know what I mean? It's basically the same thing. So I just got really into that. I remember when I was really young, my mom said my dad was into X-Men. And I had never met my father. So I was like really, I wanted to find what that was. And so I think that was like a seed that kind of grew into like what I do now. A connection. Yeah. A thread to yeah. So like it was, just, it was just, I don't know. It just kind of blossomed in me. And it's probably some of the most steadfast fandom that I've been involved in in my whole life. And rock and roll. You enjoyed rock and roll too. Yeah, yeah. I was a rock and roll dude. Um, so my, my favorite song in the world is Sister Christian by Night Ranger. No one could mess with that song. Right? That's it's huge. So can you can you imagine being in that band and right. singing that song at at that at the height time? Oh my! In, in the stadium tours that they must. I would just I I think about that. I think about that song mm. when people were hearing it for the first time. I remember when I, don't know, I was hearing it for the first time. I was like, "This is amazing." I think it was one of the first times I I heard that kind of energy. With the syncopation beat, even that little break, that little break, da na 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 na, motor ramp, like right there. I just remember being like, "This is something else." You know, you could feel it, you felt it, everything you wanted. I don't know what they were singing about, but I just remember I loved it. I couldn't really ever figure out the lyrics. Yeah, but the feeling was there. The feeling was there. Yeah, I loved it. I still do. We did. Well, we performed. uh, Me and my band. We did a wedding uh, last year, and they let us do whatever we wanted. And so I was like, "Let's do Sister Christian just to do it." And it was such a hit. Like everyone was like, "We never expected you guys to whip out that because you're a hip hop group, you know." Yeah. And so to be able to 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 really delve into that because I was in rock and roll for about seven eight years. Mm -hmm. So uh, high school. I formed a band with a few of my friends, and it was called Three Man Trio, which is very, you know, super redundant. <laughs> and, um, but at one point, we had like five members, so it didn't make any sense <laughs> at all. But you were still called the we Three Man Trio. We called Trio, it made no sense at all. Um, but we, ha- we, were having such, we were having so much fun, um, and I, we did rock and roll, and, I, and Prince... 80s hair metal really, really influenced me. Uh, Phil Collins uh, uh, and, and and Genesis and, and just like, I love the big stadium. Do, 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 I loved that stuff. So I wanted to make music that was similar. And so I did rock and roll for quite some time uh, before I even thought about doing hip hop professionally. How did you eventually so, get into yeah, well, cause so my So my brother liked it. I mean, I like listening to it, you know yeah. what I mean? But I wasn't... Like, I didn't think it was for me. There's two reasons why I didn't get into hip-hop as early as I could have. One, and I think one of the main reasons was, because I used to write raps all the time mm-hmm. just to help me get out of writer's block. Because it's a very lyrical art form. You have to, like, really know what you're doing, and it helps you get out of your head and find different connections to words and, and phrases. Um, so I would write raps, but I lived in Rosemont, Minnesota, small town. I was one of the only black kids around, and everyone expected me to rap. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I just I don't want to be that because they said I was gonna. I want, you know what I mean? And it was one of those. I saw. I was. I drug my feet. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. You know, I'll, I'll do my own thing. I'll do it my own way. And then I just was like nervous because I was raised in white suburbia. It's kind of like there is a disconnect. You don't feel like you can. I'm not the king. No, 
Cause I am close. Call me the Duke. I'm dropping nukes. Bombs scorching the earth. Bringing the fire, making it work. Honey, I'm worth. You know that I'm worth it. A couple more O's at the end of the check, but like I'm not concerned. No, no. I just keep paying my dues for the moment. I know it's a matter of time. I can just stay in my grind. I just be keeping the stress out my melon. If life gives me lemons, I'm bringing in soda and lime. I'm making the sprite. How? Like mama and daddy are pixies and baby is coming in nine. The magic is due to be birth. You should be on the alert. You should be doing your dance. And you're not uh, I didn't feel like I was allowed, you know, because it just wasn't the music that was playing at the time, the hip hop music that was playing at the time that didn't, that wasn't a, a story that was being told, which that should have keyed me into the fact that, that maybe you could do that. But like, you know, it wasn't until I heard Chance the Rapper, Childish Cambino, even Little Dicky and, and Mac Miller and, and, and Kid Cudi and stuff like that, where I was like, you know, I could probably do this like I have a story that's not the same but it's is similar and and people seem to like that so maybe I can and so when I finally decided to try hip-hop for myself it really was freeing for me to be able to just write about however whatever I wanted to and just let people like it or don't and it turned out that people liked it all right <laughs> so yeah it's been cool no case for my tithe nothing's holding me back might make a dream come true that i might make too and i might make too so tell you started doing that in 2018 2018 is when you like first start releasing records yeah and it's like bam it's like it worked it was it was it was the over the hill you know the ball just rolling up you're going uphill 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 yeah, you're ready and then it just came out. And I, I tell my friends and other people who are trying to get into the, into the industry, music industry, I said, those seven years that I failed to do rock and roll wasn't so much failing as it was preparing me to do what I'm doing now. Mm. We were in vans with no heat, driving to Duluth, uh, <laughs> shivering in blankets, for $50 and a slice of pizza. Like, I've done it, you know what I mean? And so when it started to work out, it was like, people were like, wow, where were you? Like, how are you so good at XYZ? And I was like, because I, I was playing in front of crowds of two and, and visualizing millions, knowing that it probably would never happen. And so it's been a lot easier for me to, to, to come in ready with a product that people are ready to listen to. Your ideas when they come to you, for example, uh, are you able to kind of like sit and think about them and like kind of build them up in your head if you need to? Mm -hmm. Or um, is it the kind of thing where, you know, you have to like figure out how to put it down on paper or record it? Yeah. And then once you do that, are you able to revisit that, pick up that thread again and like continue that that thought? Keeping Minnesota nice, but I fight for all the people who believe in what I'm dreaming. I'm going to do it. I'm the door, I'm feeling glorious. A lot of times, a lot of times, a song happens to me. I know that sounds really like oh artsy, but like the reality is, a lot of times, a song happens to me. Like I'll listen to, I'll, I'll, I'll get a beat. DJ Hayes will send me something, or I'll hear something, and I'll be like, it'll the the, the beat will stick with me. And I'm like, what what is it trying to tell me? I rarely write things down, hmm. um, mostly because I don't want to get bogged down with the words of it i want to make sure i'm getting the feeling of it first because if i can sing it a bunch of times the same way every time that means that other people will when i feel something powerful i like to try and keep it accessible if that makes sense sure and the, and the way i do that is by not writing things down because not everyone in the world has that ability This is this is a brand new song. This is a brand new song, yeah. So, um, my album Crush that comes out on the thirtieth of March. And the song is actually about realizing that the connection will never actually happen, and it's called Zach and Kimberly. And so I'll, I'll do it for you a cappella, as we don't have the whole group here, but this will be fun. Things are different now, yo. I get it. I spoke my heart, and I really don't regret it. I'm not surprised at all, cause this was likely. 
I like like you and you just like me. I'll take it lightly. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes it be just how it be. We see on every show, in almost every play, on almost every stage, the one you really love, but never in that type of way. Cause there is John Smith and there is Cocoum and Cyclops from the notebook is one of them. Another brother who is perfectly fine, but still it just wasn't right. Now that story is mine. Rockley and Sakura. You don't gotta let the truth bother ya, but I don't need my heart broke to know though. We're Esmeralda and Quasimodo. We're just Zack and Kimberly. No, you're never gonna look that way at me. No, oh, just your eyes done tell me we're Gus and Cinderella. It's nothing you can fix and you don't gotta change. No, no one is at fault. There's nobody to blame. See, I just have a crush. I told you how I feel and you don't reciprocate. So now it's time for me to deal. And you are not a villain. You didn't lead me on. My feelings are my problems and no, you did nothing wrong. And yeah, I'm kind of sad, but sadness comes with life. And we can still be friends, but I just need a little time, a little space, breathing room to get my head on straight. But I'll be back with a smile on my face Cause like honestly, I think I always knew this was the case It was fate, it from the gate, from the jump I'm gonna hold my head high, but my shoulders kind of slump It's just another hard bump to the canvas I promise you, I think I can manage that we are Rockley and Sakura You don't have to let the truth bother ya, but I don't need my heart broke to know though We're Esmeralda and Quasimodo We're just Zack and Kimberly No, you're never gonna look that way at me No, oh, just your eyes done Tell me we're Gus and Cinderella Rock Lee and Sakura You don't have to let the truth bother ya But I don't need my heart broke to know though We're Esmeralda and Quasimodo We're just Zack and Kimberly No, you're never gonna look that way at me No, oh, just your eyes done tell me We're Gus and Cinderella Zack and Kimberly, an acapella version from Nur D A Twin Cities hip-hop artist whose star, I can guarantee you is on the rise and will continue to rise. You also heard the song Crush from his album of the same name. So, uh, Tom Brousseau, you you play acoustic guitar and you sing, but I've never seen you with one of those uh, mouth contraptions strapped on your head with a harmonica <laughs> on it. What do you call those things? The, yeah, the well, halos? Called the harmonica? The harmonica, yeah. yeah a little, you know. pocket, little pocket yeah, pal. Yeah, you're, you're not playing <laughs> Dylan or nothing like that. Um but uh, have you ever played harmonica? Oh, Are you a harp yes, player? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, self-taught, like you know the rest of them. But um, it seems these days uh, I'm more focused on just you know like doing finger stylings and flat picking and stuff like that. But I think you know it's very very natural to to add that second instrument, the harmonica, and to play and sing and 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 you know incorporate into your act. But you know the harmonica or harp as blues musicians call it, that has lots of flavor, texture, and emotion to songs all across the genres, folk, country, rock, and, of course, the blues. Now, Tom, i got to ask you, uh, there's so many songs with harmonica in it, but can you recall a couple of favorites of oh, yours? Yeah, I mean, first introduction to harmonica is probably Stevie Wonder. His style of playing is so precise, so clean. Um, there was this gentleman by the name of Sam Hinton that I knew back when I was living in San Diego. He played the diatonic harmonica, he was also perfect. He's one of these guys who could do tricks with a harmonica. What's like a he, diatonic harmonica? It's just, you know, a certain scale on the harmonica. Oh, okay. And so Sam, he could play the harmonica without a without a holster. He'd have the harmonica in his mouth. Part of it would be sticking out, and he could sing on one side of his mouth <laughs> and toot on the other side of his mouth. And then he'd take the harmonica out and play it with his nose. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, he was a showman about it. He was a real yeah, showman about yeah. it. But then, you know, eventually you get into people like Bob Dylan and, and, and you know, and Neil Young. But some of my favorite, I've got two favorites mm. now that, that popped to mind. Right, There's a gentleman by the name of Larry Adler. My father would play one of his albums when I was growing up. And uh, he did Gershwin on the harmonica, Rhapsody in Blue, just absolutely beautiful.
beautiful uh, stuff by him. And then I have to let you know about the Beach Boys because that's also engaging the harmonica in a little different way, professionally still, but just not as a note to note like Larry Adler or, you know, like Sam Hinton or some of the other people I mentioned, but more as a pad. Oh, like on Pet Sounds, of course, on right? On Pet Sounds. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah, that was Tommy Morgan who did that. And he was playing the bass harmonica. I mean, we think of the harmonica as something that you could easily stick in your pocket, but have you seen the bass harmonica? Yeah, no, you know, and, and it comes to mind. In fact, whenever I hear the Beach Boys Pet Sounds and that bass harmonica from Tommy Morgan, I think of Sanford and Son, because you hear that same thing in the opening credits. And yeah, sure enough, he's the guy behind the bass harmonica for the opening theme, the Sanford and Son, and the Rockford Files as well, Tommy Morgan. Who he's, knew? A, he's really had a signature uh, uh, appeal, I think, on the bass harmonica. Yeah, but we should probably listen to a little pet sounds, right? Let's uh, a little, little sample I'd of his work. That. Let's yeah. do that. I'd like to know what some of your favorite harmonica playing is. Yeah, so I remember this band uh, that opened up for the Bodines. I don't know if you remember the Bodines sure out of do. Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, really good, tight harmonies, kind of Everly Brothers-esque harmonies and songs uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, they were playing a show at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, and the band opening up oh. for them was called, had to be around 1988 or so, Treat her right and i remember just being i mean they almost stole the show i was transfixed by uh the bass playing and the and the baritone vocals of this guy named mark, mark sandman who as you know later went on to form the boston sax heavy swampy sounding morphine uh but the first band was treat her right that, that got some acclaim but i i, I was watching not only mark but this swampy, greasy, sexy harmonica playing by this guy named Jim Fitting, who later went on to become a session harmonica player on this tune called I Think She Likes Me. I asked her nicely, can I buy you a drink? You know, I think she likes me, that's what I think. I think she likes me, that's what I think. Well, we've got a musician right now who's going to talk about his chosen instrument and how to play it. His name is Jake Dylan Groves. Hello, everybody. Jake Groves here. Going to tell you a little bit about the harmonica. And uh, we're talking today about the diatonic harmonica. There's actually several different kinds. The chromatic harmonica, probably everyone has heard, is Stevie Wonder preferred that kind of harmonica. And there's also a bass harmonica, a chord harmonica, and many, many other types of harmonicas out in the world. But the, the one that started the whole big bang of the harmonica was the diatonic, the tin-hole diatonic. And it is a free reed instrument. The earliest free reed instruments were found in Southeast Asia thousands of years ago. And the shung being one of them, S-H-E-N-G, is the English rendering, if you want to go look it up. It's a very cool instrument. Almost looks like a pipe organ, but on top of a cantaloupe, kind of. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's some of the earliest predecessors of the free reed instrument. Now, the tin-hole diatonic, it's, it's got a comb. It's got two reed plates, one on top, one on the bottom. One for the blow, or the exhale, one for the draw, inhale. And then there's two cover plates that are protecting those reeds and allow you to hold the harmonica. The form that came about that became the standard form had 10 holes, and there's three octaves in those 10 holes. And holes one through four were meant to play chords. So you get one chord on the blow, and one on the draw. Now in the middle octave, there was a major scale that you could play if you were able to single out the notes. 
So then if you put the two together, you can play chords and melodies. Let's hear Oh Susanna and see hear how that sounds in this style. Okay, so the, that's how the people that invented the harmonica imagined it being played, with that tongue-slapping style with the melody and the chords happening. Now, when it got in the hands of players across the world, and they discovered quickly that you could bend notes. This was either considered a defect by the inventors, or they just didn't realize it was possible at all. But it happens as a special interplay between the two reeds that are in the same slot. And by changing the resonance of your mouth, you cause these reeds to react in such a way to pop out notes that seem to be missing. Now there's a whole, we can go way deep into the physics of how that works. But for the people that discovered it, they called it choking and they thought they were just choking the harmonica to get these bent notes. And keep in mind, this is happening around the turn of the century at the same time that blues music is becoming a thing. And what the bins allowed it to do is play in a bluesier style. Cause you could get some of those blue notes using these bins, but you had to play the harmonica in a different key. And that is where cross harp comes because if you're playing in the key of the draw chord, which I have a B flat harmonica, so mine would be F. I've got that draw chord. I actually have the bluesy dominant seventh F chord. And I also am able to bend to get the blue notes that I can't get regularly playing in the key of the harmonica. So it sounds something like this. recordings of this was a tune called Rain Crow Bill, recorded by Henry Witter in 1924, and it incorporated this second position playing, some say for the first time, and it also incorporated the rhythmic style fox chase. So we're going to hear a little bit of that uh, since it's using these bins and that fox chase, which really became a part of the identity of the harmonica around the turn of the century in the early 1900s. So yeah, here's Rain Crow Bill played on a B flat harp. in the history of the diatonic harmonica was discovering that second position playing which you still hear today and which is still pretty much how I play the harmonica most of the time. Now there were other so the bends happened but there were still missing notes so after the bends were discovered the first octave was still missing a note the second octave was missing three notes and, and this is of the 12 chromatic notes and the top octave was missing several notes as well. But the harmonica had more secrets in store. And these notes were actually available doing another type of bin, which works completely differently than normal bins, but they've come to be called overbins. And these have been played in the 20s, but the person that really figured out how to utilize these musically in a really big way was a guy named Howard Levy. And he started using these probably as early as the 70s, but it didn't really take off until the late 80s, early mid 90s, and become sort of a part of the harmonica. Now these overblows, they allow you to play a chromatic scale across the whole harmonica. So I'll try to play it in the middle octave just to demonstrate. 
After this realization, the lid was blown off the harmonica and you could play in essentially any key. Now the farther away you get from the key of the harmonica, the more you have to keep these bends in tune and the more difficult and technical the playing gets. And at a certain point, you know, maybe it loses a little bit of traction, but it does allow you to play certain things in a really cool way. And one is, so we heard this position in O Susanna. But with the addition of these overblows, we can play some really bluesy stuff in the key of the harmonica in B-flat. So here's a little tune I wrote called Broken Elbow, just to demonstrate some of these overbends. You just heard harmonica great Jake Dylan Groves. You can find more about him easily by searching out his name, Jake Dylan Groves. And I hope that you do. I'm Tom Brousseau. With me is Eric Dethridge. And Eric, we talked earlier about Tracy Chapman's fast car and how it served as a ticket to get out of here to anywhere else for those feeling weighed down by circumstance and inevitabilities. Well, for acclaimed roots musician Dylan LeBlanc, the World Cafe once said about him, from the voice of a 20-year-old comes a sound convincingly weighted by the words of a tested soul. Dylan gets that world weariness from birth, and he's unafraid to tell you about it. My name is Dylan LeBlanc. I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana in the spring of 1990. For as long as I can remember, I was obsessed with the sound of music. As a troubled kid, I often found solace in it. All of my favorite memories revolved around music, singing with my grandmother and listening to my mother sing her favorite songs from pop bands of the 80s. For the first 10 years of my life, I lived with my mother, little brother, and my twin sister, whom I would often share my love of music. I got my first guitar in 1997 and started to practice every day. 
After having trouble in school, I went to live with my father, and we, in January of 2001, moved to the music mecca of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. My father had landed a job as a staff songwriter at Fame Recording Studios. It was here where I found my passion for songwriting. I dropped out of school at 16 and started playing in touring bands, all the while writing songs of my own. I got my first opportunity in the music business in 2009 when I came to Nashville, Tennessee, and at 19 years old was offered my first record deal. I then began my journey of touring Europe and the United States, slowly building a career, often one fan at a time, managed to put out four albums, which now leads me to my fifth, an album called Coyote. Coyote is about a man on the run from his past and looking for redemption and love. A look at a criminal's inner world, thoughts and feelings, trying to find a way out and into a better life. But mostly this album is about the dark inner world of guilt and shame and navigating through it into some small form of light. Having always used writing as a form of self-reflection and a way to brighten my own inner world. My hope is this album will speak to anyone with their own struggles and demons and inspire the courage to face them. Monsters in a closet in a house. 
Dylan LeBlanc, sounding as smooth and California as Jackson Brown, yet rooted in Southern mysticism like Jason Isbell, and still as revealing as only he could be. Dylan just played the Turf Club in St. Paul, Minnesota, on the heels of his new album, Coyote. And what an honor it was to have Dylan on the Great American Folk Show. So, Tom, you know, we've been uh, talking about Tracy Chapman and Dylan LeBlanc and just uh, this 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 feeling of, of one's sense of place, one's upbringing kind of weighing you down. Uh, you kind of have a song of your own in your vast catalog. Mind sharing that one with us? Oh, I'd love to. I think that's a feeling that really is an endless well of inspiration in all of us about being understood or rather being misunderstood and trying to figure out where your true place is in life. And often it's always looking toward the great beyond. I wrote a song a number of years ago called Jane and Lou. I haven't played it in a long time, but I'll give it a shot right here. Should I do that? Let's do it. Let's hear it. When the trailer park is dark tonight and the stars shine down on you and your dad is outside in scorn and he waits for me and I yell to you let's take off and drive across the bridge to the next state and stay there until we both die of old age or something better send to work old flowers and a get well card and we'll tell them where to go drop off all our old clothes We don't need them anymore We'll both get into something new Where no one says a thing I've heard of you Change our names to something plain You be Jane and I'll be Lou And every day So come on, we don't need anything I've got a tape deck to play our songs And we'll sing out loud as we go along You and me in my old car And we won't lay off the horn So people will think that we just got Say goodbye to our old lives Even though we ain't old And we don't know where to go Let's get into something new Let's get into something new Let's get into something new Change our names to something plain You be Jane and I'll be Lou And every Jane and Lou, a live version from Tom Brousseau, the host of the Great American Folk Show. Tom, that was exquisite. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you for reminding me about some of my older songs. I'm glad that it I'm fit. here to do that, man. I am your <laughs> sidekick. That's my job. <laughs> well, and that's it for this episode, how quickly the time went by. We'd like to thank you for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Minkota Power Cooperative, the Lorac Family, the Blair Flegel Estate, and the John and Elaine Andrus Charitable Trust. Our talent producer is Mary Jones in Chicago, Illinois. 
On the next Great American Folk Show podcast, we'll feature enigmatic singer-songwriter Jim White, acclaimed English band Flight, and out of Chicago, Fran. I hope you'll join us. <laughs>